Hi, you're listening to the Yale Anesthesiology Podcast. Make sure to visit our show website so that you can take advantage of the links of the papers that will be mentioned during this recording. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Antonio Gonzalez, and I'm thrilled to present our next guest. Dr. Pervez Sultan is an Associate Professor of Obstetric Anesthesiology at Stanford University School of Medicine and an Honorary Professor at University College London. His research interests include defining, characterizing, and measuring postpartum recovery. Today, he's here to enlighten us regarding the use of patient-reported outcome measures to assess outpatient postpartum recovery. Dr. Sultan, welcome to our podcast. Hi, Antonio. Thanks for uh, having me here. I'm very excited. I've never been interviewed in a podcast before, so um, this is this is great. So thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so um, I wanted to talk to you about the patient-reported outcome measures because I see a lot of future to these uh, metrics. What attracted you to pursuing postpartum recovery research? Yeah, it's a real random path that I took to where I am now. So you can probably tell from my accent that I'm uh, not from the US. I'm from the UK, originally born and brought up in Manchester, which is famous for its soccer. Um, and then I actually did a fellowship at Stanford, which kind of ignited my passion for research. But originally I wanted to do lab-based research. So my a research degree in England when I went back after the fellowship at Stanford was actually looking at immunology um, and looking at lymphocytes around the time of surgery. My supervisor at the time was more interested in non-obstetric surgery. So we were looking at how lymphocytes changed around the time of operations and uh, the differences in, in lymphocyte function may have been uh, what is the reason for surgical site infections and, and morbidity to be more common in the post-operative period. So my original plan was to bring that immune research to obstetrics. Uh, and then I realized that, that the outcomes in obstetrics are just not fit for purpose. So in the non-obstetric population, we often talk about 30-day complication rates. We talk about 30-day mortality, length of stay. But after a cesarean delivery, as you know, um, surgical site infection is pretty rare. Mort maternal mortality is, is relatively rare as well, thankfully. So I soon realized that we didn't really have any good metrics for postpartum recovery, which is astonishing considering 140 million babies are delivered around the world every year. So I uh, started to look into what the best metrics for postpartum recovery were. And that's how I ended up in this field of social sciences. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, as you mentioned, cesarean deliveries are one of the most common surgeries in the United States. So would you give some background to the audience about what are patient-reported outcome measures? Yeah, so a patient-reported outcome measure is quite simply a survey instrument which asks questions in order to evaluate the health state of a patient. So um, that can be about global health states, so that can take into account um, activities of daily living, pain scores, mood, sleep, and fatigue, and things like that. Or it could just be a patient-reported outcome measure which focuses on one domain. So you could have a patient-reported outcome measure that focuses 
just on pain or just on depression or just on fatigue. So it's basically a survey instrument. And the reason why these are so good is it's widely regarded to be these are the best measures of post-operative recovery, not just in obstetrics, but in the non-obstetric setting. And, um, and, and now we're starting to see them more and more in obstetrics. And the reason why they're so good is because they are cheap. You don't need any expertise to, to uh, give them to patients. They, they should be at a level of reading language for a patient to easily understand as well. So they're very good at screening large populations in a cheap and cost-effective manner. That, that is great. And as you mentioned, uh, these patient-reported outcome measures were mainly developed for the non-obstetric patient population. Now, our patient population is very unique in the sense that our patients undergo surgery and they just have a instrumented vaginal delivery and society expects mom to recover, to take care of herself and to take care of a baby. Now, this is where I think patient reported outcome measures are extremely important in terms of follow-up and, and things like that. We're going to talk more about that. Can can prompts or patient-reported outcome measures be used for our patient population that is so different to the non-obstetric patient population? Yeah, good question. So first of all, I just want to say that um, when people think and hear the words survey instrument, they think, oh, this is not this is not good science. This, these are fluffy instruments. But actually, as time's going on, we're really getting a, a good list of patient-reported outcome measures which have been very robustly developed and also using really rigorous methodology, they've been robustly validated as well. Um, now, you're right, a lot of these patient-reported outcome measures, um, and I'll, I'll give you examples, like there's one called the SF36, which is quite old now, but it's quite you know extensively validated. Unfortunately, things like the SF36 weren't actually developed or validated specifically for use in postpartum patients. So therefore, they neglect to ask questions which are really key to a good recovery. So they don't ask any questions about breastfeeding. They don't ask any questions about how the baby's doing um, and how, the, how often the baby's waking up the mother, for example, and postnatal depression as well, which is, you know, one of the leading causes of maternal mortality. There needs to be specific questions. So while the traditional measures of patient-reported outcome measures were very good for the non-obstetric setting, many of them actually weren't developed or validated for the obstetric specific population. So a lot of my work over the past four years has been to try and identify what the best measures are. And the way that we can do this is by, first of all, you do systematic reviews to identify what measures have been used in the postpartum population and which ones have been validated in the postpartum population. So in 2021, we published this massive scoping review. I, I'm never going to do anything like it again, but it was we reviewed about 8,000 titles and abstracts just to identify what measures have been used to evaluate different aspects 
of postpartum recovery. And then we did a series of follow-up systematic reviews to identify what the best measures are for different domains of of postpartum recovery. And this, so basically there's a a group from Amsterdam called COSMIN, which stands for the Consensus-Based Standards for the Selection of Health Measurement Instruments. And this group have basically come up with a 78-page document, which goes into a lot of detail to how you can go about identifying what the best measure for a particular domain is. So what is the best survey instrument for pain or fatigue in the postpartum period? And then by using their rigorous methodology, you can really get to the bottom of what the best measure is. And then going forward, everyone should really use that measure. Or if there's not a good measure, you need to develop a new one. That, that is great. Are you referring to the JAMA study, the 2021 JAMA study? Correct, correct, yeah. Okay, the the links to that paper will definitely be in the uh, website uh, show description. Uh, so I encourage all listeners to definitely read that paper. It was a great paper. Thank you so much. <laughs> so what are the postpartum domains or metrics that can be measured with patient-reported outcome measurements? Yeah, so we really needed to start at the beginning here. So because no one's really defined what postpartum recovery is, which once again is shocking because, you know, patients have been delivering babies for many, many centuries and thousands of years, right? So how can we not know what is a normal recovery? And indeed, what are even the different aspects of postpartum recovery? So I started from scratch and I used the PROMISE methodology. Uh, PROMISE, I want to just give a plug for. They are a group that have received over $120 million worth of NIH funding. And they've come up with these item banks of really solid patient-reported outcome measures. Now, interestingly, none of these have been um, developed specifically for postpartum, which I'll talk about later, but that's my NIH R01 grant that I just received to develop um, a promise-based measure for postpartum sleep to start with. But I started from the beginning, so I basically interviewed patients, obstetricians, MFMs, nurses, and partners as well. And I asked them questions about postpartum recovery. What does postpartum recovery mean to you? Can you describe your postpartum recovery? What kind of things did you go through in those first days, weeks, and up to three months in the postpartum period? And then by using qualitative analyses, we actually identified 13 different domains or aspects. Domains is just the same word as aspects, really. Different aspects to their recovery. So the 13 different domains that we identified were physical function, uh, surgical complications, which include urology, colorectal, um, obstetric and gynecological complications, cognition, um, psychosocial distress, which includes, you know, anxiety, depression, PTSD, infant health, pain, psychosocial support, motherhood experience, which includes adapting to the maternal role and motherhood experience, uh, feeding and breast health, 
sleep, fatigue, sexual function, and appearance and cosmetic factors. So there's lots there. So even though this sounds like a great start, this is just the beginning of really trying to unravel what an average patient goes through in the postpartum period, because clearly um, pain should be improving as the days and weeks go on, whereas actually sleep may be initially okay, but then starts to worsen as time goes on. And a lot of these different constructs are actually interrelated. So the, the key here is to number one, we need to identify what are the best measures for each of those domains. And then number two, we can start plotting what a normal pain recovery is, what a normal um, sleep recovery is after someone has had a baby. And by plotting that, what my original plan was to, in the same way that babies have their head circumference, height and weight plotted on a nomogram after their delivery, after their birth, I wanted to try and plot what a normal recovery was for, for, for a mother or, or a patient after they've had a baby. And so to do that, you need to identify what the best measure is, and then you can start plotting it. So we're still like, we've got a lot of work to do because we've started to identify what the best measures are, but we need to actually get big population data to identify population norms. Once you've identified population norms, you can really start to um, intervene at an early stage, really targeted early stage interventions to try and improve the trajectory of recovery. Yeah, I think that that is key. I think that these patient reported outcome measures can actually give us the key to figure out which patients are going to need more close follow-up, which patients can have a little later follow-up or less follow-up, uh, things like that. So I think there's a lot of potential for the patient reported outcomes. Now, as researchers, what I'm used to is reading about visual analog scores, opioid consumption, and hospital of uh, hospital length of stay. And there seems to be a lot of problems with these uh, variables measured. For once, we know opioid consumption is very variable. Hospital length of stay is actually very, also very tricky because if a patient, a patient may be actually ready for discharge from our point of view, but the patient may decide to stay. So th this makes the, this outcome very difficult as a, as a variable to measure in research. So on, on your experience, how does patient reported outcomes differ from these traditional outcome measures? Yeah, I think you make some really good points there. I want to make a comment about length of stay because so many studies concentrate on length of stay, but if you actually follow the enhanced recovery guidelines which have been published, and for example, in the United Kingdom, if you've had an uncomplicated cesarean delivery, you should be discharged on day one following cesarean delivery. So then if you have differences in standards of care, it's very difficult to uh, notice any significant differences in hospital length of stay because the majority of people go home on day one. So then what do you do? And then in the in the US, because of the Maternal Health Care Act, most patients who have a cesarean delivery are covered by their insurance up until day three. So they, they tend to, once again, have a similar length of stay in most institutions. So length of stay isn't the best. And as you quite rightly point out, discharge readiness time is 
a really good metric. The problem is that there are some validated measures for discharge readiness, but um, they're not being routinely measured or monitored in the clinical setting. So then it turns into a research instrument and then there may be pushback from nurses wanting to document the time of these different criteria where discharge readiness is met. So we're not quite there, but in the future, I would love to see discharge readiness as the go-to metric and that's documented on our electronic healthcare records. Now moving on to um, pain scores. Uh, so traditionally, recovery, um, pe people felt that recovery was the same as a pain score. But um, there was actually a really nice editorial published by Laurent Bollard a, a couple of years ago. And I think the title of it was um, Time to Move Away from Isolated pain scores or recovery beyond the pain scores. And um, I think that's absolutely right because we've, we've all come across patients that have a pain score of zero, but they are still not ambulating. They're, um, they're not doing well in terms of mood and um, they may still be needing opioids and they may still have their catheter in, they may not be eating and drinking, they may be vomiting. So that pain score of zero is very, very misleading for how well the patient is actually recovering. And then on, a, on the flip side, some patients report a pain score of 10 out of 10, but actually they're, they're just not wanting to take opioids because they're worried about the opioids going through to the breast milk, um, but they may be walking, ambulating, feeling great, and otherwise doing fine. So I think it's, it's really important to use patient reported outcome measures, which are composite measures of different domains or aspects of recovery. And I, I think these are the future because it, it's really important. We don't just think that a, a pain score of zero or 10, that is the recovery because it's so much more than that. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. And I think that a perfect example of what you just described uh, was very well depicted in a publication that your research team published in 2021 uh, in the British Journal of, Anesthes of Anesthesia that actually focus on looking at the best patient-reported outcome measure for pain. And it describes exactly what you mentioned, that pain is very multidimensional, right? A patient with a score of five may be actually functionally better than another patient that scored the same five, but that other patient that scored five has less social support, uh, other issues at home, and their, re their functional recovery gets affected. So I think that's, I, I agree a hundred percent that um, the, the patient reported outcome measures, it's, it gives you uh, a multidimensional instead of uh, a single score uh, value here. Now, yeah, and, and you know, like as um, anesthesiologists, we are like the pain experts, but um, I think it's, uh, we've really, uh, we're off the mark in terms of how well we assess pain in the postpartum period. So from that systematic review, we identified that the best available measure for postpartum pain is the short form brief pain inventory. Now, you, you may or may not know that actually the short form brief pain inventory has a couple of big flaws. First of all, it asks about how pain's been in the past week. So if the patient's delivered 
you know, one day ago, then it's not a relevant question. And then the second thing, which is really important, is the brief pain inventory was actually originally developed for evaluating pain in cancer patients. So it asks no questions about breastfeeding, which itself can be very painful, and mastitis, um, other things like, you know, there's pain interference. Like, so what if a patient's in pain, are you able to look after your baby? Are you able to to breastfeed? Are you able to go to the restroom? All of these things. So almost postpartum pain is it a, a unique construct which can't just be evaluated with the existing measures. So we're actually currently doing some work to try and develop a postpartum specific pain patient reported outcome measure yeah I'll, I'll definitely be looking into that the results of that study now let's talk about the obs obscure or 11 now known as the obscure 10 in 2018 you co-authored a study published in the british journal of anesthesiology titled development and evaluation of an obstetric quality of recovery score obscure 11 after elective cesarean delivery would you please tell us a, a little bit about the process of developing the OBSQR that has since been validated as a patient-reported outcome measure? Yeah, I'm, I've, I've got to say the OBSQR, um, when we made it, we did not realize how big a deal it was going to be. Um, we, we originally kind of wanted to have a more multidimensional measure of postpartum recovery. So we actually worked from the QOR40 measure, which is, it was originally developed by Paul Miles's group. He's an editor of the, of the BJA um, and he was based in Australia. And the QOR40 is brilliant, but the only problem is that it is um, not postpartum specific and it asks questions relevant to patients who have had a general anesthetic. For example, you know, do you have a sore throat after the intubation and things like that. So what we did was we took out the GA related items, we added in neuraxial anesthesia recovery items, and we also added in baby related items. And then what we did was we actually saw how the scoring of these items correlated with a global health visual analog scale between zero, which represents the worst imaginable global health score and 100, which represents the best imaginable global health score. And the, the items that correlated best with the global health score made it into the final obstetric quality of recovery scoring tool. And um, so basically this gives you a score between zero, which represents the worst possible postpartum recovery and 100, which represents the best possible um, recovery. And now it's it's really, really taken off because we've actually validated it in the UK um, following all delivery modes. And we've just finished a 107 center multi-center study, which has just been published in anesthesia. So we've got population norms for obstetric quality of recovery scores following cesarean delivery in the UK now. Um, we've subsequently validated it in America as well. Um, the validation study was undertaken at University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences by Nadir Sharawi's team. Um, they did a fantastic job at showing that it is really, really useful in our US population as well. 
We've also published uh, validate, validation studies in different languages. We've published it in Portuguese in the study that we did in Brazil. We've also got a Turkish version from Turkey, and we've got a Hebrew version from Israel as well. And some of the coolest stuff that we did has actually just been published in AJOG Global Reports. Um, there was a Japanese version that we translated. Now, the reason why I like this study so much is because um, I didn't know this until the study started, but in Japan, after a patient has an uncomplicated cesarean delivery, they tend to stay in for seven days. So you can actually do daily OBS-QOR scores to see how your recovery compares after you've had a C-section versus a vaginal delivery. And what we saw was actually the OBS-QOR scores plateau at day three following a C-section, whereas it plateaus at day two following a vaginal delivery. So the majority of your recovery using OBS-QR has actually happened by day two if you've had a vaginal delivery or day three after a C-section. So we've really got quantitative data now comparing different delivery modes, which is very, very cool. And then the, another study, which is just hot off the press, it's just been published in the Journal of Clinical Anesthesia using the Hebrew version of OBS-QOR. This was uh, Carolyn Weiniger's group um, in Israel. They actually identified that day one obstetric quality of recovery scores were independently associated with six-week Edinburgh depression scores. And if we think about depression being a leading cause of maternal mortality, that really shows the strong relationship and potential utility for identifying patients that are not recovering well on day one. And here's, here's our opportunity to potentially intervene on these patients to reduce morbidity in the outpatient setting. Yeah, that study that you just mentioned, I actually have one question about it. And it is, it is basically exactly what you just mentioned. Given that maternal mental health is the number one cause of maternal mortality, shouldn't we be uh, emphasizing in these patient-reported outcome measures the domains of psychological distress and psychosocial domains? Yeah, absolutely. So what was really interesting is when we developed the OBS-QOR measure, um, things that we thought would be important didn't come up as important to inpatients. So these were things such as sleep and mood. They We, we thought that those would end up in the OBS-QOR, but they didn't actually correlate well with global health fast scores at in the inpatient setting. So what we soon realized is that inpatient recovery is a different construct to outpatient recovery. When a, a patient delivers in the hospital, the things that they're worried about are pain, nausea, vomiting, dizziness, shivering. There is one question which actually is very important, and that's, I feel in control. And I think that is closely related to mood and psychosocial, um, and psychosocial distress. And that interestingly, is the one item that seems to correlate best following all delivery modes with the six-week depression scores. Now, when we think about uh, what, when we should start looking and screening for depression, patients that have pre-existing psychological disorders, um, we know are at a higher risk of depression in the postpartum period. So these patients need to be um, actively monitored and referred early to um, psychiatric services. 
and also in the postpartum period, I think it's really important that we routinely screen patients for depression and anxiety, and maybe even post-traumatic stress disorder, because anxiety and PTSD are highly prevalent following childbirth, but they're not very well screened for at the moment. And depression, I think we're pretty good at screening for. Uh, Stanford, for example, uh, routinely gives patients the Edinburgh Depression Score to complete at six weeks. And also, if anyone's had a neonatal um, bad outcome, then these patients are automatically referred to social workers and uh, referred to the psychological services. So I think these are the kind of interventions that we really need to be promoting in order to address the fact that maternal mortality rates in the US are on, on the rise. And a lot of these deaths, the majority of deaths are actually happening after six weeks postpartum and psychiatric causes are the leading causes of maternal mortality at the moment. Yeah, that is very unfortunate, but hopefully the research that is coming from your institution and new research will help us to try to bring down that curve uh, of the burden of maternal mental health as a cause for maternal mortality. Now, what prompted the change from the OBSQR 11 to OBSQR 10? Oh, that's a great question. So we based the OBSQR 11 on the... Q QOR40, as I mentioned before, and the QOR40 had two questions of um, how would you rate uh, your severe pain and how would you rate your moderate pain? Now, our patients, they fed back that this was confusing because if you have severe pain, does that mean that you score your moderate pain as zero or 10? And that can make a big difference in your QOR score. So we basically combined the severe and moderate items into one single pain item of please rate your pain in the past 24 hours. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Now, do you think that future obstetric uh, patient reported outcome measures should be performed for every delivery uh, at every institution? Yeah, I absolutely think that we should be doing. And um, I want to just draw your attention to a paper that we published last year in anesthesiology. Uh, we actually sought to make a core outcome set of measures that should be used to evaluate the impact of our enhanced recovery protocols. So a lot of the um, measures in this paper, there were 15 in total. A lot of them are predictable, you know, like hospital end of stay, uh, compliance with the enhanced recovery bundle, satisfaction with analgesia, opioid consumption, nausea and vomiting rates, readmission rates. But the obstetric quality of recovery 10 item scoring tool was included in this core outcome set. And the way that we actually generated this core outcome set was through a Delphi process, which included 32 different experts from around the world who have published in the space of enhanced recovery. So we had OBs, anesthesiologists, MFMs, nurses, and we also had patient representatives that had delivered via C-section in the past five years. So obstetric quality recovery is a recommended measure um, if you're tr trying to evaluate your enhanced recovery protocol. So we're actually in the process at Stanford of trying to implement OBSQOR into our electronic healthcare record. And in the same way that nurses currently ask pain scores every 
you know, one to two hours, depending on how sore the patient is, we're going to try and get all patients, regardless of delivery mode, to have OBS-QOR um, assessed at 24 hours plus or minus six hours. And we're doing the plus or minus six because we don't want patients to be woken up in the middle of the night for this. So there's a little bit of leeway there um, to have this assessed. Now, as I mentioned before, inpatient recovery is different to outpatient recovery. And we, from our 2021 JAMA paper, we, we concluded that the best available outpatient measure of recovery was the World Health Organization quality of life breath score. Um, but once again, that wasn't developed for the obstetric population. So at Stanford, when I uh, first joined here, I got a three-year grant from the Maternal Child Health Research Institute at Stanford to develop an outpatient recovery scoring tool. So we've just completed the development and validation of this. Um, the measure is called STALK. It's the Stanford obstetric recovery checklist. Um, and we've just completed the multi-center study to validate this at Stanford University, Northwestern University, and Brigham and the Women's Hospital. So I'm gonna be writing that paper very soon, and hopefully that will be something that we can use to screen our patients at the weeks, you know, up to week six postpartum and identify patients that aren't recovering well in the outpatient setting. So that that is great. And all this information seems like it's going to be phenomenal to help us, right? The way I see the patient-reported outcome measures is basically we understand that patients that have an uncomplicated vaginal delivery are going to score higher than our patients that have a C-section. But I think what will be very interesting is trying to hospitals to look at those scores and say, how close can we bring our C-sections to those scores on vaginal delivery? How how can we improve our multimodal analgesia so that we bring a C-section patient from a 57 to a 70? How can we do that? And the only way we can actually start measuring that is by having baseline uh, reports. And that's how I see it. But you're the expert uh, related to this topic. So what are your thoughts regarding this? Yeah, I think uh, you make a really good point about, you know, trying to improve recovery scores within our individual institutions by delivery mode, first of all. But I think this is a really, really good opportunity for us to benchmark our practice. You know, so for example, if my patients had lower recovery scores than yours, Antonio, then I would be looking to you saying, hey, Antonio, what are you doing? Like, this is so good. Why are all your patients recovering better than mine? So it's an opportunity for us as professionals to continually, you know, reflect on what we're doing and provide the care we're providing for patients. And then if it transpires that, you know, oh, I'm, I'm not giving my patient intrathecal morphine, but you are, and that's making a huge difference to the pain scores on day one, then there you've got your answer. Or, you know, if I'm giving, um, I'm not giving any antiemetics and you are, then I can start to learn from you. And also we can actually start to look at different surgeons and how their patients are recovering. Cause it's not just about the anesthesia and it's the, the way that things are closed. It's the exteriorization of the uterus, it's propensity for blood loss. All of these things, I think it's really good, not in a naming and shaming way, but I think it's, it's on us as professionals to take responsibility for the care that we're providing patients. And I think also, 
and not just on an individual level, but at an institutional level, we can say, hey, Stanford have got really good recovery scores. What are, what are they doing? Oh, we're giving phenylephrine infusions. We're using intrathecal morphine. We're warming patients. We're giving fluids, aiming for euvolemia. We're getting patients mobilizing earlier. We're taking the catheters out earlier. You know, all of these things, it's the, it's the sum of marginal gains. One of these things alone may not be able to result in a significant difference in obscure OR scores, but all of these things together will make a, make a difference to how our patients recover. That That is absolutely brilliant what you just mentioned. And I think this may be something for the MPOC to pick on, right? Because the only way that every institution can pick up on how well they're doing compared to other institutions is by centralized data. And at this point, maybe MPOG is the best way that we have to have that centralized data. So that is an amazing point. Thank you for bringing that and, up. And you may find that the challenge is getting your uh, your obscure R score to be put onto Epic. That's a process that we're currently going through at Stanford. So the, the nurses have trialed it and they love it and they see how it can make a difference to the care that we give patients. But um, what we're going to do is try and implement an intervention if the patients are scoring low. So if a patient scores low on the obscure R score, then that will trigger for an anesthesiologist and an obstetrician to be at the bedside to review the patient and, and address why the score is low. I have one last question, and then I would like to end the podcast with Dr. Uh, Purvis Sultan, top five recommendations for improving functional recovery for our obstetric patients. And that question is like, knowing that the patients have a point where they plateau, what are your recommendations in terms of like, when should we be getting this course? Should we get them daily or should we get them at day one and day three? How how would you recommend we use this, uh, these prompts? I think it's important just to not to overburden the nursing staff as well. So I think there's a there's a research uh, ideals and aspirations, and then there's clinical um, relevant outcomes. So I think if you could get your um, every patient to have their obscure R score who's had a C-section or a vaginal delivery or a operative vaginal delivery on 24 hours plus or minus six, then that would be a real win. And the key here is to actually intervene on the patients who are not recovering well. I do want to say that the obstetric quality of recovery scoring tool is not perfect. So um, patients that have had a fetal demise or maybe patients who have, who have um, a baby in the NICU may not be appropriate to uh, give the obscure OR score because there's questions about I'm able to hold the baby, feed the baby. So there may be some questions there that could trigger um, the patient. So we, I, I think it's important just to, to be mindful of that. So the majority of patients it will be appropriate for, but there is that small subset. That, and maybe there's an argument for developing a specific um, recovery measure for those populations as well. Um, in terms of the top recommendations, we're, we're actually in the process of developing transdisciplinary enhanced recovery guidelines. We've actually we're we're leading that with through the ASA, but we've also got buy-in from SOAP, the ERAS Society, uh, the Society of OBGYN Hospitalists, the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine, ACOG, A1, and AANA, and we've got a diverse group of patient representatives as well. So um, it's going to be an amalgamation of the current SOAP, ERAS Society, and Healthcare Canada guidelines. 
But basically, there's so many interventions. There's about 25 different things, and we need to do them all, like preoperatively, intraoperatively, and postpartum. The one thing that I would say that we should be doing that we're not doing well enough at the moment is screening for anxiety, depression, sleep disorders, and PTSD. I think in addition to the ones that we're doing already, so I mean, like in the preoperative phase, we need to be educating our patients because uh, managing expectations is hugely important. Um, you know, getting them involved in lactation groups and peer support groups. Intraoperatively, you know, delivering a good quality anesthetic. So that's things such as warming, you know, using intrathecal uh, long-acting opioids such as morphine, preventing spinal hypotension with a variable rate phenylephrine infusion. And then postpartum, early ambulation, eating and drinking early, uh, getting the catheter out um, a couple of hours after the patient's walking and promoting rest periods and scheduled multimodal analgesia around the clock. Sorry, that's a lot more than five, but I couldn't limit it to five. That, that is phenomenal. Thank you so much for uh, this great talk. I think I've learned tons. I'm looking forward for any study coming from your institution. I think that your institution and your research has been leading the way into patient-reported outcome measures. There is a lot of future I see a lot of future in the use of the patient-reported outcome measure. So I want to thank you for putting these uh, studies out there. Amazing literature uh, that will be in the website uh, show link. Uh, thank you so much for being here with me today. And thank you so much, Antonio, for having me. But And also, if anyone out there is interested in collaborating, like we are, there's enough work to go around for everyone. Please reach out no matter where you are in the world. Uh, if you're interested in postpartum recovery and improving maternal outcomes, please, please uh, just send me an email or uh, get me on Twitter. All right. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you so much.